0: hello. Happy birthday, America. Uh, This is my iPhone. It's an iPhone 12, which means before the iPhone 12, there used to be an iPhone 11, and before the 11, there was a 10, and then there was a 9, and so on, down to the very first iPhone, which was introduced in 2007 by Steve Jobs. Now, when the iPhone 2 came out, that was better than the iPhone 1. And then when iPhone 3 came out, that was better than 2, 4 was better than 3, and so on. until I got the iPhone 12, which is better than 11. And now coming out supposedly in September is the iPhone 13, which is going to be better than the iPhone 12. Because as consumers, we love better, right? Think of cars. When I was a kid, there was no air conditioning in cars. Finally, they put air conditioning in cars, and cars were better. Then you had power steering, power brakes, power windows, power seats, power everything. Now you have a car that can even park itself. Isn't that insane? We love better. We love our sports teams to be better. We want better sports teams. Fill up your if you're listening, we want a better team. <laughs> we just love better. If you have your Bibles or your iPhone... Turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 2. I'll be reading the first 12 verses of John chapter 2. I'll be reading from the NIV 84 version. the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days." In John chapter 1, we see Jesus in Judea, where he is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and Jesus chooses about six of his disciples. In chapter 2, the scene switches from Judea to Galilee. It's about a difference of 70 miles, and Jesus and his disciples have walked all that way. And they walked to a small town called Cana, and the occasion was a wedding, a Jewish wedding. Now, Jewish weddings are very different than the weddings that we're used to here in America. For one thing, Jewish weddings began at twilight. Jewish virgins were married on the fourth day of the week, which would be Wednesday. Widows were married on the fifth day of the week. Now, a Jewish wedding could last for days, sometimes up to a week. And the wedding was held at the bridegroom's house, and he was the one that actually paid for it. Now, the wedding in Cana, some Bible scholars believe, that it could have been one of Jesus' close relatives or maybe one of his brothers or sisters. And they give three reasons for that. One, in verse 12, we see that the whole family was present, except for Joseph, who most likely passed away at this point. Second reason, in verse 2, Jesus brings extra guests to the wedding. And the third reason, Mary plays a prominent role and has authority over the servants. We get to verse 3, and we have an issue. There is no more wine. Now, if you run out of wine at a Jewish wedding, this would be considered a total disgrace. Imagine you're standing at a buffet line ready to get your food, and there's no more food in the buffet line. That would be a disaster. But no more wine at a Jewish wedding? That would be a disgrace. So Mary goes to Jesus with the problem. They have no more wine. Now, what was Mary expecting Jesus to do? Grab the disciples, run to the store real quick, get more wine? Was she expecting something miraculous? We don't know. She just went to Jesus with the problem. And in verse 4, Jesus responds by saying, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not come. Now, Jesus calling his mother woman is not as harsh or disrespectful as it may seem. Uh, The word woman, when translated from the Greek, means ultimate respect and honor. Servants would use this word when referring to their queen. Jesus uses the same word again in John 19 when he speaks to his mother from the cross. Jesus says, dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. When Jesus says, why do you involve me? He's simply telling his mother that she doesn't understand. Jesus does not mean that he won't act, because we know he did act. But what Jesus is saying is, what I do will not accomplish what you're hoping for. If I do something spectacular, it will not persuade the nation that I am the Messiah. Another time must come. There must be another hour must come before I am king. In verse 5, Mary seems satisfied with Jesus' response, and she tells the servants to do whatever he says. Now, probably being a mother, uh, she she could probably tell that Jesus was going to do something by his tone of voice, his body language, whatever, but she knew he he was going to do something. And this is also good advice from Mary. Do whatever Jesus says. In verse 6, we see there are six stone water jars. Now, these were used for ceremonial washings. The Jews were considered unclean if they did not wash before and after they ate. It was part of the Jewish law. Uh, If you want to read more about that, Mark 7, verses 1 to 4, it gives you a little more detail. And then in verses 7 and 8, Jesus tells the servants to fill the stone jars with water and then tells them to draw some out and give it to the master of the banquet. In other words, the wedding planner. Now, notice the simplicity of this miracle. There was no prayer, no command, no flash of light, no laying on of hands. Jesus did not touch the water, nor did he taste it to make sure it was okay. It was just a simple fill the jars up with water and give it to the wedding planner. Notice that Jesus did not go outside the realm of nature with this miracle. I mean, what Jesus did happens every day in the hills of California. It happens every day out there in Chads Ford. Water is being turned into wine as we speak. It involves a long process of growth, of crushing, and a process of fermentation. Water into wine is a simple, natural process. Jesus simply sped up the process, demonstrating his ability to master nature. Now, there is some doubt on what kind of wine Jesus miraculously created. Some would say Jesus would never create an alcoholic beverage. No way. He just created some really good grape juice. Well, just for the record, they never, ever drank grape juice at a Jewish wedding. The custom of the day was to drink actual wine. Now, it was two or three parts water mixed with a small percent of alcohol. It was not as strong as our wines today, but if you did drink a lot, you would get drunk. Now, the Bible does not say what kind of wine it was, but all we know is that whatever it was, it was the best. And in verse 10, we have the reaction of the wedding planner. He was surprised that the bridegroom saved the best wine until last. As it says in verse 10, the idea was to serve the good wine first, And then when everyone keeps drinking and drinking and drinking, you bring out cheap stuff, and then they can't tell the difference anyway. We don't have the reaction of the bridegroom, but I'm sure he was surprised too, and I guess he took credit for it. You know, Satan loves to serve the good wine first. That's what he uses to draw people in. He he makes things look really good at first. Remember how pleasing to the eye the apple looked to Adam and Eve? That's why Satan is known as the angel of light. But in the end, he'll only bring darkness to your soul. Do you know how a person gets addicted to cocaine? Because the second and third time they they do cocaine, they try to achieve that first original high. You could do cocaine five times, ten times, 1,000 times, and you will never achieve that first original high. Satan serves up that first original high, and then everything else is just a sad addiction. Satan does the same thing with lust, greed, power, fame. But Jesus served the good wine last. He was offering something better. Well, better than what? Well, to answer that question, we have to answer this question. Why did Jesus begin his ministry with this miracle? Why not start out with something big? I mean, let's face it. If you list out of all these miracles, from top to bottom, what would be in the best, water and wine, it's got to be down here, down at the bottom. I mean, raising Lazarus from the dead after four days, that's up there. Uh, Jairus' daughter, raising her from the dead. Uh, feeding 5,000 people, walking on water, calming the storm. I mean, they're big miracles. Like we said, water and the wine happens every day. He just sped up the process. Why start out with this simple miracle? Well, symbolically, it represents being born again, the changing from the old to the new, changing from death into life. Through this simple miracle, Jesus is outlining his ministry. And his message is simply, something better. Well, again, better than what? First off, better than the law of Moses. Because the law is powerless. Well, if the law is powerless, then why did God give the law in the first place? Well, there's several, several answers to that. One, the law was at it because of sin until the promised Messiah came. Galatians 3.19 What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. Another one, the law shows us we cannot live up to God's standards. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law shows us that we are inadequate incapable, and unable to save ourselves. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Our righteous acts, all the good things we do, are like filthy rags. And I'm not going to go into detail what filthy rags translates to. You can go home and look up that for yourself. Another thing, the law brings a curse, death, and wrath. Galatians 3, 10 to 14, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continuing to do everything written in the book of the law. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 6, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Romans four fourteen to fifteen. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And the law shows, shows itself to be powerless. Romans eight three. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man. You see, the law can condemn sin. The law can point out sin. But the law cannot overcome sin. And that's the problem. Basically, the law was a roadmap. It is a roadmap. And where does it lead us to? It leads us to Christ. More specifically, it leads us to the cross where we can be justified by grace through faith. Galatians 3.24 So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law is like a teacher that shows us God's holiness. It shows us our sinfulness. It shows us our need for salvation. And that salvation is already free is offered freely in Jesus Christ, which is the good news of the gospel. Let me just read again our scripture passage from this morning, Hebrews, highlights from Hebrews, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. The ministry Jesus has received is superior to the old covenant and is founded on better promises. Although this first miracle was simple in nature, it has a profound message. By turning water into wine, Jesus was making a statement that he has come to be a better sacrifice, just once and for all. That he has come to be a better high priest, one who is holy, blameless, pure, and one that can meet our needs. And he offers better promises. And not only is Jesus better than the law, he is better than anything that the world has to offer us. We are constantly being bombarded by the world constantly of how to be better you want to be want to have a better life get rich quick you want to be a better person you got to read all these books you want to be a a real good party goer you got to drink this you got to smoke this because it's going to be legal anyway that's what the world says you need to be better Jesus offers better promises Today is one of my favorite holidays, July 4th, Independence Day. I love America, I'm proud to be an American, and I love studying American history. Our founding fathers spent 11 years trying to use peaceful resolutions to solve all the issues with King George. 11 years they tried, and King George didn't want to hear any of it. And then there was the two incidences in Concord and Lexington, where colonists were killed by British soldiers, and things just began to spiral out of control. And then finally, on July 4th, 1776, our founding fathers said, "Enough is enough. We want to be a free sovereign nation." And for 245 years, we have been that free sovereign nation. But our freedom—it came with a price there was a cost to this freedom. I calculated about 1,300,000 men and women died, sacrificing their lives, protecting our freedom, sacrificing their lives so we can have this freedom and liberty, so we can be here today worshiping without any fear. They gave their lives. It came with a price. If you have never received Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, I can't think of a better day than today to declare your independence. For you to stand up and say, Satan, enough is enough. I want to be free. And the moment that you receive Jesus as your Savior, you are immediately free from the chains and bondage of sin. You are immediately free from all the trappings of the world. Maybe you have been trapped but by what the world has to offer. But Jesus can free you from that. Or how about religion? Maybe you've been entangled in all the man-made rules and regulations that religion has to offer. Jesus can free you from religion and offer you something better. Becoming a Christian is as easy as ABC. One. Acknowledging that you are a sinner. Acknowledging that you need a Savior. Acknowledging that you can't save yourself. B, believe. Believe that Jesus came and died for your sins. Shed his blood for you. Gave the ultimate sacrifice. And then C, confess. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And what does it say after that? Well, it's written there right in black and white. You will be saved. And the moment you receive Jesus into your life, you immediately go from death into life. And you receive better promises from Jesus. Because he's better than the law, better than the world, better than anything else. And that's why he came to offer something better. The question is, when does eternal life start? Does it start when you die? Uh Uh-uh. You know when eternal life starts? The moment you receive Christ as your Savior. And to me, there's nothing better than that. I'm going to close in prayer, but I'm going to close with a prayer by somebody else, if you don't mind. From a person who understood that Jesus offers better promises. And I figured, and since it's Independence Day, why not use a prayer from a founding father? Um, this prayer was in a journal written by President George Washington. O eternal and everlasting God, I presume to present myself this morning before thy divine majesty, beseeching thee to accept my humble and hearty thanks. Direct my thoughts, works, and words. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb, and purge my heart by thy Holy Spirit. Increase my faith in the sweet promise of the gospel. Give me repentance from dead works. Pardon my wanderings, and direct my thoughts unto thyself, the God of my salvation. Teach me how to live in thy fear, labor in thy service, and ever run in the ways of thy commandments. Make me always watchful over my heart that neither the terrors of conscience, the loathing of holy duties, the love of sin, nor an unwillingness to depart this life may cast me into a spiritual slumber, but daily frame me more and more into the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may in thy appointed time attain the resurrection of the just unto eternal life. Amen.